Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. And I'll read it in the King James Version first. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Here's the NIV. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. I'll give you one more from the Amplified Bible. Where there is no vision, no revelation of God. His word is not heard. No projection of God's ability. The people are unrestrained, but happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of God. Amen. I pray today, Lord, by the authority of your word, the power that's in your name, I pray that you would give New Life Fellowship direction. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that they would seek you with their whole heart, that our lives would be centered around you, Lord. There's so much to do, so little time to do it. Revive passion and purpose, I pray, in this house. Bring back the first love. Help the people that are struggling, Lord. Set a priority in line. And then help us, Lord, to accomplish the mission that you have set forth for us, I pray. I pray that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said amen. I'd like you to just take a moment and lift up your hearts to the Lord and your hands to the Lord and just tell the Lord, I'm here for you, Lord. I'm here to do whatever you want me to do. I've come here to serve you, Lord. I've come here to give to you, Lord. I've come here to worship you, Lord, spirit and truth. I've come here to offer praise, Lord. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, Lord. I read from the scripture this thought. And it occurs to me that a lot of people have poor sight. Your windshield makes up the bulk of everything that is in front of you. And your rear view mirror is very small. But a lot of people have it backwards. They have a large rear view mirror and a small opening for a windshield. Always looking in the back. Always looking behind them. Always wondering what it was like or how good it was and never looking for the future. People without a vision perish, but people without a vision also cherish the good old days. And they say, well, it was better a long time ago. The reason why we think that is because we've never had a sight for the future. I want to stand here and tell you that if you commit to God, your future is much brighter than your present. And I don't want to live a life where there's no vision. I have to have a vision. The church has to have a vision. I have to have a vision for myself. You see, without a vision, people are not bound to a higher cause, but I am bound to something higher than me. And without a vision, we can't even really recognize God. 
The vision is the clarity, much like our natural eyesight. In this idea or fashion, vision is seeing the things that please the Lord, even pursuing the things of God. And when a church or a people or any organization fails in the vision, then other things fail. In the church, the law of God becomes their judgment and they die. The autopsy, autopsy of a deceased church is a phenomena in the modern age. This occurs when a church doesn't know that it's dead, but it dies. When a church simply becomes a community endeavor, and the community endeavors are good, but that is not the purpose of the church. When a church fails to become a place where people are pursuing right living, it's, it's a church if it's pursuing right living, but it dies if it's built upon civil duty or human accomplishments and not on conversion or on the doctrine. A church is about pursuing God and reaching other people. It's written that about 4,000 churches a year close their doors in America. Can you imagine? 70% of pastors resign or quit the ministry after a handful of years. But there are many more doors that are open to the public in a church, but they're closed to spiritual conviction. Their doors are open to the broader view of people, but... Their doors are closed to the law of the Lord, to the constraint of the human will. They have all of, they have all these things, but they're not constrained. They have no vision, no revelation of God's word. The Bible says they cast off restraint. And I suppose that it would be convenient for me to simply quote statistics and talk about the abyss of the religious people without relationships. There's a relationship crowd, but that might make us think that we have arrived, which we have not arrived. New Life Fellowship has not arrived. A building or square footage does not constitute a spiritual body of believers. Nor does a group of people, a mass of people, constitute a church. If I had the right person walk into this house, there'd be standing room only. That's right. You get a celebrity or you have some powerful name. If we could just get Oprah Winfrey to come. A lot of people would show up or whoever you like. (laughs) Some people would show up even if they didn't like them. People go to those events too. But a large crowd doesn't constitute a church. Square footage doesn't constitute a church. It's a place where the word of God is openly preached without constraint. You see, where there's no vision, people cast off restraint and they do whatever they want to do. We're in search of the ever settled word of God we are seeking ladies and gentlemen to please the Lord Isaiah prophesied about two groups in his book of the first he said if you fear the Lord but you have no light trust in God trust in his name who is among you that feareth the Lord that obeyeth the voice of a servant that walketh in darkness hath no light let him trust in the name Lord and stay upon his God you're struggling he said you don't have it together but just lean on God trust in God he'll provide your strength Not all of us know everything, 
Some of us know a little bit. I suppose a few people know everything. We're all learning and growing. We're trying to grow. We don't walk in all the light. We have not arrived at some juncture where we can hang our hat and say, I'm done in my growth state. You're not done growing in the Lord. But those of you who think that you're, that, that you're where you're going to be and that you don't have to do anything, God said, you're, you cannot walk in that. He said, sorrow awaits those people who walk in the light of their own fire. Behold, all you that kindle a fire, that compass yourself about with sparks, walking in the light of your own fire. This is the problem. The problem is that there's no spiritual pursuit. You've got to pursue God and come to the recognition, I don't know it all. I've got to have more of God. All vision is not the same. When I see God, it makes me consider myself. All years are not the same, and I don't always get caught up on numbers, but for the first time in human history, we can now say 2020 in light of clear vision. We're a handful of days away from 2020. It's not only a year, but it could be an understanding of God's word and an understanding of his commission. So I begin where it all begins today. Ladies and gentlemen, I begin where it always has to begin. Love God. It sounds easy enough, but juxtaposed against select personalities and ambitions and attitudes and flesh and the pressing world around us and a host of other things that fight against everything, you'll find that loving God takes discipline. Love God. Loving God is much more than making the statement that you love him. In fact, upon review, loving God is all-encompassing. Those were the words of Jesus when the Pharisee had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence. They were gathered together, then one of them. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like each other. And one of them was a lawyer. He asked the Lord a question, tempting him. He wanted to catch the Lord because they all knew about the law of the prophets. And he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I'm thankful. We're so blessed that we know the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection. We should consider that a great privilege. We should consider it a privilege to actually have understanding of the cross and of the resurrection we have insights and revelations we have the gifts of the spirit we have the written word of god but just remember it all hangs on loving god and not just a love in the emotional sense but jesus said that to love him takes the whole heart the whole soul the whole mind it's all of your passion, all of your energy, all of your strength, all of your giftings. You have to love him to the point so that there's nothing to share with someone else. Clear vision, ladies and gentlemen, is loving God. And loving God is at the very least seeking to please him. So before you say a word or do a thing, can you hear pastor today? Before you engage in anything, ask yourself, will this please God? America has a love problem. And when the world has a problem, the church has a problem. When the community around us have issues, that always tells me that the church is going to have the same issue or maybe already does. It's a love problem. 
Melanie Tuzon is a marketing specialist, and she writes, and I quote from her. She says, we put love into everything we do. She said that the words must be included. These words, I and love and you. If she adds I and love and you somewhere in the marketing, it helps to sell the product. See, we have a love problem. From designed heart-shaped pet food to Subarus, people talk about love. We love Thames. We love Basque and Robbins. 31 flavors. We love ice cream and we have iHeartRadio. Love is tied to products, events, amusement parks, food, restaurants, and a host of other things. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. Sometimes it fills a song. It's a description for intimacy. There's so much love going around. It means less than it once did. Everybody talks about what they love. Maybe we should stop using the word love for things that are incidental and mean nothing and reserve it for God. You don't love that ice cream. You don't love that car. You don't love that product. you got to love God. Maybe that's what God was thinking about when he introduced the first of the Ten Commandments and put in the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He put it as number one. See, gods need love, even small gods. Even gods that are incidental. Even ones with warranties and expiration dates. We've got to love God and not the things of the world. You love your car? You do until a shopping cart that someone else is pushing ends up into the side panel. Or until somebody leaves potato soup in the back of it and it spills. And then you have to take it to Ed Wells and have it clean. But it never really comes out of the van. So I get a little personal there at the moment. <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful until you back into something. <laughs> or until the other person that will not be named backs into the neighbor's garage. And even though you've had it fixed, it's not truly fixed. They left some parts out. <laughs> uh-huh. You love it until it loses its luster and the new smell goes away or there's a tear or a rip and now it's just a thing. And this is what's happening to America. We are replacing things because we lost our love for that. Now we need a new love and another new love and another new love. And I'm asking the church, why don't we put aside all those loves? They're not really love and start loving God. Put aside all the things we think that we love and start loving God. Maybe we should use things and love God and not love things and use God. No less than 11 times in the Bible, God said, I'm a jealous God. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, this is the last time he mentioned it. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealous. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. God is not into sharing your love. It's time to get real, ladies and gentlemen. I want to get real. Get real. Turn to your neighbor and say, get real. It's time to get a clear vision and get real. How about honest living? 
Let's get real. How about honest conversation? How about we put an end to the lies and hypocrisy and get real? How about we become Christians, not just in word only, but in everything we do and get real? And if you're ready to love God with all of your heart, but you hate your brother, then you're not ready. 1 John 4.20 If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, then he's a liar. For he hath not loved his brother whom he hath seen. For, how hath, for, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth also his brother. You love God, you have to love your brother. You don't love your brother, you don't love God. Let me just introduce you to your brother. When it says brother, it means your sister too. So look around. This is your family. You don't love these folks, you don't love God. Stop saying you love God, but you have problems in this house. I got to make some declaratives here today. How are you going to go to heaven with the same people that you despise in the church? You're not going to go to heaven because there's no unfilthy, unclean thing going to get there. If you can't love them here, you're not going to make it there. It's time for us to put aside all the bitterness in the church. It's time for us to put aside all the hatred in the church. You must love your brother. Now hold a second. That don't mean you like everything they do. That don't mean you agree with everything you do. That means you love them and you pray for them and you don't talk bad about them and you care for them. That's right. You see, the first thing we have to do to have clear vision is to love God. And the second thing we have to understand is we've got to love our brother. Loving God is tied forever to loving other people. There's no way around it unless we erase large sections of this Bible, cut it up, burn verses, erase them. The second commandment is like the first. It means that they are the same ilk, a type, a class that cannot be divided or separated. Loving God and loving others are related in an in an eternal, inseparable way. And just to make this vision as clear as possible, there's something else that I've got to tell you. We've got to love one another, and we do that by serving one another. By this, shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one to, not love one for. One to another is an action. One love for is an emotion. I, I have love for you. What does that mean? That means it's just a feeling. But one to another is an action. It's a verb. It means there's action behind it. It means that nobody is going gonna, is gonna to hurt you if I can help it. No one is going to talk bad about you in front of me. Because I love you too much to let anybody tear you down. Listen, I, I, I've, been, I've been at many conferences and, and heard many sermons and for every once in a while I'll hear a minister get up and he'll talk bad about his own church and about the people, how bad they are. And then I'll say, well, don't send that, that tape out to them. And I'm always thinking, man, I'm never doing that. I love my people. I love my people. I think that they love me. I think it's a wonderful relationship. I want the people to love one another. I'll tell you how we'll win people to the Lord. We love them. We love them. You love people, they'll love whoever you have. Because Ruth did not love Jehovah. Ruth loved Naomi. 
And Naomi said, I got to go back home and I'm going to go back to my homeland and I'm going to go get back in touch with Jehovah and I'm going to go back to worship. I can't stay in Moab. And one of the daughter-in-laws left her, but Ruth said, hey, I'm going wherever you go because Ruth loved Naomi and had no idea about Jehovah. When people fall in love with you, they'll fall in love with your God. When they fall in love with you, they'll fall in love with whatever you fall in love with. I'm preaching a word to the church. It's all going to be about love. You got to love God and you got to love one another. And brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, we're going to find out who's spiritual. The spiritual ones are not the ones walking around accusing somebody. They're not the ones texting and posting and Facebook stuff. The spiritual ones are these. Ye which are spiritual. Here's what Paul wrote. Restore one another in the spirit of meekness. Let me tell you who spiritual people are. Here's what he said. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I'll tell you people who are carnal. Carnal people are people who look like they're, they're Christians, but they think they'll never make a mistake and they think they have no flaw. Carnal people are people who are always trying to get the speck out of somebody's eye and they can't even get past their own plank. Every time I see someone trying to straighten out somebody, I know they've got a big warehouse of boards in their eyeballs and they're trying to dig out a little speck of dust in someone else's eye. I'll tell you what, when you start considering yourself, you ought to just think about yourself right now. Think about all the things you've thought about this week and the lust and the trouble and the lies and the conflict and the things you did wrong. Consider where you've come from for a moment before you ever open up your mouth and talk about somebody else. See, love covers everybody. And when the church falls in love with God and exhibits that through their brothers and their sisters, it's irresistible. I and love and you. I may not like your food. I may not like your cooking. You may not like my cooking. I may not like something you do. You may not like what I do. But that does not prohibit me from loving you. When we fall in love with God and fall in love with one another, there is no force. Here's the vision. Love God and love one another. Nobody can love one another until we forgive one another. I forgive you. You forgive me. Now we let it be and we walk towards the Lord. Every marriage has to have forgiveness in it. Every relationship has to have forgiveness. If you don't know how to forgive, you'll be arguing over things that are 10, 20, and 30 years old. In fact, an unhealthy marriage, when they have an argument, they pull up all the stuff. Unrelated. Something goes wrong in the Argument ensues and then all of a sudden somebody in the argument, a husband or the wife says, oh, oh yeah. Well, I remember. 
Because we got a whole group of people who think the wrong thought. They say, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. What they're saying is, I'll never forgive you. I'm going to remember that and hold it against you for the rest of your life. But true forgiveness is putting it and bearing it and never getting it back up again. See, here's the spiritual people. I'm talking to somebody. The spiritual people always considers themselves before they consider a judgment on anybody else. That was the parable of Jesus. When the man who owed a lot was forgiven, but then he turned to his, his friend, and, and, and his friend owed him a little bit, and he threw his friend in prison. And the master, the headmaster, came back and said, because you didn't forgive him of little, I forgave you of much. Now you serve out your sentence. If you want to resurrect all of your forgiven sins, I'll tell you how to do it. Go fishing in the sea of forgetfulness. Cast out your judgment, the bait that's on that rod and reel, and start accusing everybody else. And all of a sudden, everything that God forgave you is going to come right back. Here, pastor, today. Here, pastor, today. We're going to love God, and we're going to love one another. We're going to love God so much, we don't have time for everything else. I want to love God so that everything I do, I want to love God. I want to please God. I want, I want the whole church to love God and please God and then love one another. That's the vision. And there's a third measure here. It's the action of the first two. It's called serving. Serve. People who love God serve people. Leaders serve. So if you are an aspiring leader... Or if you're a leader now, this is what Jesus said. If any man desires to be first. He didn't say that was the wrong thing. He just said the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And seeing that I'm in the vein of the context, let me put some legs on it. This is verse 35. If any man desire to be first, he'll be the servant of all. Here's the next verse. He took a child, set him in the midst of them. When he had taken them in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. If you want to fall in the good graces of God, serve. And you can serve in the children's ministry. I haven't forgotten it. It's burning inside of me. There are a lot of places to serve the church. Not only leaders, but everybody. Believers ought to serve. Maybe it's time for everybody to pick up serving. There are places, many places to serve. This is our year of correct, clear 2020 vision. Love God, love others, and serve. Prayer is to God. Share among the family, and care is serving. We pray, we pray, we share, we care. Seeking to please God is what we've got to do. I love the doctrine. I'm going to preach and teach the doctrine. I love holiness. I love the Godhead. I love the intricacies of the revelations of the mighty God in Christ and all of the things in the Bible. But they all are hinging upon loving God and loving one another. And if Jesus made himself a servant, what happened to the church? John F. Kennedy made it popular when he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He just made it popular. But I wonder where that happened, where that went, rather. Where it, it, it left us. We've abandoned that idea. 
Instead of coming and asking, what do I get out of it? I wonder, could we say, what can I put into it? Clear vision is going to help me see. I've got to see because things have to appear as they appear. And the things that are close, they need to be close. That means I have my priorities in line. Things that are far means that they're not nearly as significant as the things that are close. I've got to see. And the best way I see people is by considering that they also are covered in the blood of Jesus. The church is in need of a clear vision because we're about the Father's business. My ability, whatever it is, it's always limited, no matter what it is. I'm not seeking to be the best. I don't want the church to be the best. I want the church to be in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. I hope that the attitude of the church is not that we're trying to be better than anyone else. We're not trying to be better than anyone else. We're just trying to be like Jesus Christ. I don't want people to come in here and think they have to be perfect. There's no perfection in this church. No one's perfect here. (laughs) Yes, that's you too. Wherever you are, that's you too. There are no perfect children in this church. Mama, grandma, there's no perfect kids. There's no perfect people. There's a perfect God. And when he said, be ye perfect, it meant strive, strive for the master. Seek him. Look for him. Set him up. Mark the perfect man. Because that is my example. No, let's be a church of love. Love in God. I'll tell you how we can grow internally. It's when we start to love one another and consider one another. Amen. Loving God means that everything revolves around the Lord. I'm with my parents a little bit this week, and, and mom was talking just about early days and where we went. We, we went to camps, church camps, and then we went to general conference. It was, there was no National Youth Congress back then. It was general conference, and, and we... we we had a much simpler life. It was really, it was not by design. It was probably <clears throat> economically, it was probably pressed upon us economically. It was a simpler life. And things were simpler. There was no full-time communication. There was nothing. We're, we're, we're inundated with everything and loves and, and passions and, and pathos is, is oozing out of us. It's being wasted on things that don't matter. We're, we're consumed by, by things today. I, I don't want to just preach a relevancy, but it does seem to me that, that cell phones and, and, and the smartphone generation and the screens are sapping us of all of our attention. And we're not, we're not falling in love with Jesus because our lives are so complex and there are so many things vying for our attention. And as she was talking about where we went, there was a lot of places we didn't go. Maybe we didn't have the money to do it, or, or maybe, or maybe dad just didn't feel like that was important, but, but it was a simpler life. And, and what we had was the church. We had the church. We, we adjusted ourselves around church services. Everything happened around the church. 
There was a day when the church even was the center of towns. It was hundreds of years ago, I suppose. But then, then instead of the church being the center of town, then it came uh, uh, the courthouses were the center of town. And now I don't even know what the center of town is. It seems to be a tablet or a computer or something else. Something else has become the center. But I'm urging the church today, bring God back into the center of your lives. Bring the scripture back into the center of your lives. Instead of looking for the next fad, maybe we should get back to something that's very simple. Just love God every day. Love God every day. And then look at the body of Jesus Christ and love the people. And love one another. Be concerned with one another. And then take up something and serve. The fabulous kitchen back there. They got a new stove because the other one just died, I think. Sister Alexi runs a wonderful kitchen. It's a great place to serve. I've seen people washing dishes. I've walked away many times watching people wash dishes. My eyes welled up with tears. Because I was grateful that they were serving Tammy told me last week how incredible the the Journey Kids ministry has become. And she said there's a whole team. People picking up the children. There's someone that welcomes them. Clipboards with names. When they get off the, the bus or the van, there's someone else ready. Everyone's doing their part. Doesn't take long. And, and someone is making food for them. And some of them are very hungry and they, and they eat when they get to the church here or in the North Campus. Brother Hudiger brought it to our attention that, that they had run out of food some many weeks ago in the North Campus. And we just said, we'll just have to get more food because that's what they're looking for. Food. I want to baptize them in the name of Jesus and I want them to have an understanding of what they're doing. But chances are, Bill, they're not going to be baptized on an empty stomach. I want them to shout and worship God. I want them to be rooted in the church when they grow up. But chances are, if we don't catch them when they're five and seven and eight and nine and ten years old, chances are they're not going to have a, they're not going to have a, have have a walk with God when they're 20. These are the statistics. These are what we're working with today. We got to find everybody. We got to serve. If we start serving, one another will learn how to serve correctly and will learn how to serve people that don't know anything about God. I'm looking for clay. I'm looking for molded clay. When I held baby Cole in my, my hands today, I felt the clay. He's a baby. He'll be whatever we make him to be. Children are clay. It's hard to form someone who is older They say it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. It probably is true. I've seen in my lifetime three people, three men over 80 receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Brother Rose in my dad's church, another man, I forget his name, and Brother Miller received the Holy Ghost that was 80 years old or older. But most people don't receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost when they're 80 years old. They're done, they're set in their ways. 
But if you get a child who's eight years old and you tell them how much you love them and you care for them and you entreat them and you help them, they'll love God because they love you because you're serving them. I'm not looking for an instant I'm not looking for an instantaneous church. I'm looking for a church 10 years from now made up of Holy Ghost powerful young children that became young men and young women. It's going to happen when we get a clear vision. Love God, love other people, and serve. I'll tell you how you can save your children. Get them in a ministry in the church. I'll tell you how you can save them. Get them in the church serving somebody somewhere. I'll tell you how your fathers can help your children, your grandchildren serve God, serve people, love God, love people. I'll tell you how you can save your marriage, fall in love with Jesus all over again. When you get closer to the Lord, you'll get closer to everybody else around you. Amen. I'm almost through. The vision for this year is very, very clear. When we talk about our life groups, we're talking about intentional and designed lessons. I don't know everything about a blended family, only what I've learned through the years, but we have some folks that are teaching about the blended family. I wish that every family was uh, their traditional nuclear family, but that's not the world we live in. And we're ministering to people who've been married and, and, and divorced and remarried. And they're loving God and they're serving God. And there's a ministry and a class to help you. Because there are struggles with that. We want to talk about grief this year. Somewhere in this year, we're going to have a grief class. It won't be long, but there'll be a time when we can get together because people grieve in different ways. Losses in their life. That's right. We want to talk about the needs of the body. Because we're going to love one another and grow together. I'm going to ask you to do a few things. They won't be hard. They'll be spiritual things. I did it today. Prayer and Bible reading. That ought not to be, that ought not to be foreign to us. That the pastor gets up and says, will we pray and will we read our Bible? In fact, we should be clapping. We should be saying, thank God that we're not just here to be entertained, but we're here to love God and get closer to God through prayer and reading our Bible. I don't know if we said it or not, but, but people fast. And we didn't have cards this year. But in the month of January, many people fast multiple days. I'm going to go on a little fast in January. And I hope that you can go on a little fast. I'm not talking because you, because you overate during Christmas. You'll just get all that weight back. I'm not talking about weight loss. I'm talking about pushing away from something. And if you're a diabetic, maybe you cannot fast food, but you can fast something. And I'd ask everybody to take at least one day and go dark. And don't check your email or pick up your phone for 24 hours. Yuck. It was going so well. I'm telling Reagan every day, if you cannot stop doing something, you're addicted. Every time I see him doing that same thing, I say, addicted. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. You're addicted. I'm getting under his skin. Because if you have to do it, if you say, well, I'm not addicted, but I just like to, no, well, you're addicted. You mean you can't go one day without a cup of coffee or a Diet Coke or, God forbid, Diet Mountain Dew? What is that anyway? That's a lie. You ain't no Diet Mountain Dew. 
<laughs> you can't go one day without doing that. That means you're addicted. I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to push away from a few things and we ought to be thanking God. This is not just a church of inter... I love all the stuff that we've got going in all the programs and I love the 4th of July, but we've got to become a church that loves God and loves people and we're willing to serve one another. I wonder who's with me today. We've got to have a church that loves God, loves others, and serves. Please stand with me now. I thank the church for being kind to me and to my family. I thank you. You've been so kind. These decades have flown past us. We don't even know what happened. There, I was walking up the stairs and something happened to my left knee. And then I was coming back down because the boys wanted to shoot some basketball. And I didn't want to tell them. <laughs> Finally, Roman said, hey, what's going on, Dad? I said, well, some, my left knee, I hurt my left knee walking up the stairs. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I was 19 one time too, bud. Uh-huh. I'm a little bit sentimental. I pulled up to the church last yesterday and left last night and I thank God and I said, Lord, I'm dedicating every day this house to you. Let it be filled with people who love you, love your purpose. Let this work carry on strong till you come. And I pray today for the congregation, the believers, that this house will be a place where we come to serve. We come to give, not to get. We come to restore, not to tear down. I'm praying for this congregation that there's healings far greater than all the physical healings. That there are healings of the mind, the emotions, spiritual healings in this house. I want this year to be a banner year for our church. I want everyone to disciple someone. I want men that have never engaged the altar to suddenly get familiar. I want families that have never taught a Bible study in their home to invite their friends and neighbors over to their house for a Bible study. Amen. I want us to love God greater than we've ever loved God. And I want us to love one another more than we've ever loved one another before. We've got to exude that and we can do it through serving. Amen. Now, Lord, I pray today for all of us at the close of this year. I pray today that you would make us in your image. I'm asking you today to help all the members of New Life help us to become more devoted and more consecrated than ever before. Help us to follow your word and your will in Jesus' holy name. Jesus, holy name.